Exodus chapter 3. Moses has become a man of deep humility. He is a man that is now content to live out his days as a shepherd on the backside of the desert. And that is, if not a boring life, it's a very humbling life. But Moses, at 40 years of age, he kills an Egyptian that he saw beating a Hebrew. And Moses thinks, my Hebrew brothers will understand that God has appointed me as their deliverer. And so I'm going to kill this man. And Moses is now 80 years old. And he's wandering on the backside of the desert, caring for a flock of sheep. And this flock of sheep are not even his sheep. They belong to his father-in-law. Moses left Egypt, and he was raised in Egypt. He was considered a brilliant man. And now he finds himself following sheep. Uh, and he's content to do this. That's fine with him. Moses is learning many valuable lessons there in the desert. Basically, the ways of the desert, where to find water in the desert, the weather conditions of the desert, basically how to survive in the desert. But he's also learning humility from God. And God is about to call Moses into service. So let's look at Exodus chapter 3, and we'll read the first five verses. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked. And behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moses is in the mountainous region of Horeb, Horeb being the mountain chain, and Sinai is the very mountain peak that is, uh, uh, finds this burning bush. And in this bush, there is an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. A Christophany. Jesus appears to Moses in a flame of fire. Now, it was not uncommon uh, for one of these deserts like sagebrush bushes to spontaneously combust. That happens uh, kind of on a regular basis. What is uncommon, though, is the bush is not consumed by the fire. 
And that's what grabs Moses' attention, that this bush will not burn up. A couple years ago, we live out in the country, there was a barn down the road from us, and they had a hay fire that destroyed the barn, and hay will also combust. If you bale hay and it's damp or it's wet, and then you roll it up and stack it in a pile where the heat can build up, you can have a fire. But here we are out in the desert. This bush is on fire, and it's on fire by the hand of God. And in the midst of this bush stands Jesus. Jesus speaks to Moses from the bush, and he says, Moses, Moses. Now that had to be a little bit disarming for a bush to speak to you. <laughs> and Moses answers, here I am. And then Jesus speaks to Moses, do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals, for the place where you stand is holy ground. And this is the way Jesus introduces himself to Moses, and it's in a fiery, dramatic way. Notice, Moses, stand back. Do not come near. And take off your sandals, for I have designated the place where you stand, this very spot, as holy. Now, only God can do that. We like to build buildings. We like to build altars. We like to build tabernacles. And we try to call them holy. But only God can call a particular place holy. But this is the very spot where this bush burns that God will give Moses a little later. He'll give him the Ten Commandments from this very same area. This little spot. And you know, Moses will remember this little spot. But now, let's take a look at what God has to say to Moses. That's in verses 6 through 10. And moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good land, large to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and any otherites you want there. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Verse 6, Jesus declares who he is. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses is afraid to lift his eyes and look upon this bush, to look upon God who speaks with them. And by the way, this is a healthy fear. 
Moses, later in his life, when he goes, wants to see the face of God. And it's an awesome thing for anyone to stand in the presence of the living God. And God will tell Moses, but if I let you look upon my face, Moses, it will kill you. And therefore, it's a healthy fear that Moses doesn't even lift his eyes upon the bush. Verse 7 is what we call a declarative statement. Uh, a literal translation of this verse is, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. I have surely heard their cry, and I have surely known their sorrow. Nothing escapes God's attention especially regarding us, his children. He knows every detail of our life. He knows what's going on with us. And we oftentimes think, well, why do we suffer wrongly? Or why am I suffering for reasons that I can't understand? I'm here to tell you, God has seen God will continue to see all of the injustices that come your way. We in America, we're big on what we call civil rights. We consider certain rights inalienable. Uh, they're rights that God has given us. They're non-transferable rights, and we deserve these rights. We even have in our Constitution what we call the Bill of Rights, guaranteeing us rights as American citizens. And contrary to this American mindset, it can be difficult to accept that God often calls us his children to suffer reproach with him. He often calls us to suffer reproach with him. Let me get you to turn to 1 Peter 4, and we'll look at uh, three verses there. Uh, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. Peter speaking, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, on their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. God speaks through Peter here and he says, do not think it strange. Meaning, we do think it's strange. <laughs> we, we think it's unusual to suffer. And Peter suffered greatly for Christ you remember the time that Peter, James, and John, they rejoiced because God had counted them worthy to be beaten by the Sanhedrin. They counted them worthy. 
and they had preached Christ, and they got beaten for it, and they rejoiced about it. Yippee! <laughs> we were beaten and bruised for Christ. <laughs> now contrast that with the way we consider all pain is bad. Any social persecution that we go through, uh, any persecution that we encounter, we consider it evil. I definitely feel, and this is just me, that we are in a post-Christian era in the United States. And I think you have to be really naive with your head in the sand type naive, not to see the persecution that's coming upon Christians around the world, and it's growing right here in Christian America. More and more Christians are being separated and persecuted. Right now it's socially, but look out. It's more severe things I believe are definitely coming. Recently, I heard this week that uh, they had on the news this little girl, this little kindergartner. She was stopped from praying over her food at school because that was something they didn't want her to do. A kindergarten girl, not with her parents, there at school, wanted to pray over her food, and she was stopped right here in Christian America. Like it or not, Christian friends, we are social outcasts here in our own country. We are the oddball out. And more and more we will be considered a hindrance to the unity and peace of our country. We happen to live in the Bible Belt. And we are considered less than brilliant for our beliefs. You know how many of your friends look upon you as being foolish for believing Scripture? It will appall you. But Peter, he tells us by the Holy Spirit, rejoice when we partake of Christ's suffering and be glad with exceeding joy. Peter, he wants every believer to know, take a stand for Jesus, refuse to be ashamed of him who suffered and died for each of us. The way we handle persecution, it is a direct correlation to glorifying God. We have an eternal reward that awaits us if we suffer with Christ. It doesn't go unnoticed. I have a, a friend who works for Gospel for Asia. His name is David. One of the most humble, beautiful Christian men you'd ever want to meet. And I was sharing with him at, at a pastor's conference. We were just sitting and talking. And he told me that he used to pray all the time that God would allow him to die the death of a martyr. <laughs> that kind of takes you back. Really? <laughs> you pray for that? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> but he said one day God answered his prayer. 
And he, he said, he told me all believers die to themselves each and every day. And that's the attitude. That's our response to be that I expect to die to myself today for Christ. And don't think it's strange. Back to Exodus. In verse 10, Moses has chosen the reproaches of Christ as a greater treasure than being Pharaoh or king of Egypt. We don't usually have to make that much of a cut and dry decision. Moses was offered the position of king and he turns it down. And as we study Moses, you know, we will become more and more uh, enhanced by the fact that he's such a good example for us to follow. Moses is told by Jesus, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. Moses hears this command. These are Moses' marching orders. But Moses, after spending years on the backside of the desert, he now feels totally incompetent to be a leader. So let's look at verses 11 through 15 of Exodus 3. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be, this is God speaking, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, and they say to me, the, uh, what shall I say to them, rather? The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And, then, and they say to me, what is his name, and what shall I say to them? And now, this is what the whole gist of this morning's sermon is. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he says, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. The first thing we hear is Moses say, Who am I that? Well, to answer that question... Moses, neither you nor any other man are anybody in and of yourself. God says, I will deliver my people. And Moses, I'm simply going to use you to bring this about. God is gracious. And he gives Moses, he says, I'm going to give you a sign and when you come out of Egypt, you and my people shall serve and worship me on this mountain. Right where you're standing, Moses, when you come out of Egypt, you're going to worship and serve me here. But Moses, he's full of questions. And who wouldn't be? And Moses says, who shall I say sent me? 
And what is his name? In verses 14 and 15, Moses tells the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am the Lord God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this is my name forever. I am. I am declares, I am everything any believer will ever need. I am the all-sufficient. I am the all-powerful. I am present tense God. Notice God did not say that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Or he says he is. He doesn't say I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are with God as he says this. But they have died. But he's still their God. They are with him in paradise and he is still their God. And God, the great I am, is the God to every believer. We have here God setting the scene, orchestrating the details to reveal his great power to his people, Israel. Egypt, this heathen nation of Egypt, they will witness God's power also. They also will see the great I am in power. The most powerful person in this world is a believer who is praying to the great I am for God's will to be done. That is the most powerful person in this world. My prayer, when I pray, oftentimes for people, you catch yourself praying in patterns sometimes, but I always like to ask, God, show yourself strong on this person's behalf. Understand this about God. He delights in doing the miraculous. He delights in doing the miraculous. Because it's in total alignment with his name. I am. I am everything you need. I am all sufficient. I am all powerful. And God has brought this family of Jacob down to Egypt. Now they have multiplied into a great and mighty people. The Egyptians now persecute Israel. They rule them with harsh bondage. And this is all done in the will of God. For God will now deliver Israel, performing miracle after miracle, demonstrating through and by the hand of Moses that he is the great I am. And that makes us want to bring it up today, bring it forward. What's going on in my life? Do you feel trapped? 
Are you in a desperate situation? Do you find the circumstances around you threatening? Is your health failing you? Is your job nothing but a mess? Are your finances stressing you out? Understand, know this, God sees. God hears you if you cry out to him. And God understands. We need to understand he is our great I am. We need to know that. Don't ever think your circumstances or uh, predicament is beyond God's seeing, hearing, and acting upon. He said, that is my name forever. I am. And it doesn't matter what the situation is. God is greater than your situation. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father, I would pray that I would understand and that your people would understand that you are all-sufficient. You are the great I Am. I'm so glad that you made that plain, Lord. That you're more than capable for any situation that I may encounter. You're greater than any circumstance that may come upon us. We thank you for that. And Lord, you tell us if we'll cry out to you, you will hear us, you see our difficulty, and you understand and you will answer our prayer. We thank you for that. So, Lord, increase our faith to believe, to trust in you to the point where we cry out to you. And we see, Lord, that you took the children of Israel down into bondage where you could be their deliverer. And sometimes the very difficult things we face are there by your hand where we'll cry out to you. So don't let us be shy about crying out to you, Lord. You see our need, and let our, us make our need known to you. Be our one that rescues us, Lord. We thank you that we can be so bold in our prayers to you. Thank you for being the great I Am. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.